TED Audio Collective. You know, for the record, Colleen, I don't think you hate me. I don't hate you. And, <laughs> and I also don't think you hated me four years ago when you wrote that tweet. I, I don't think you knew me. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Hey, and welcome back to Conversations with People Who Hate Me, the show where I take negative online comments and use them as a starting point for offline conversations. I'm your host, Dylan Marin. Sometimes I speak to people who have said negative things to me online. Other times, like today, I moderate conversations between strangers. And it's a show where we humanize people on the internet. Like I say at the end of every episode, and I'm saying at the beginning of this one, it's just a reminder that there is a human on the other side of the screen. Today's episode deals with an interesting topic, which is hate directed at a celebrity. And sometimes this hate is kind of directed nowhere because there's no kind of guarantee that the celebrity is going to see it. So today I'm moderating a call between Amanda Palmer and a woman named Colleen. Amanda Palmer, some of you may know, she is a musician, she's an author, she's a big deal. She has been around for a while and she has a lot of fans and she also has, as we'll find today, some detractors too. And I'll be connecting her with Colleen, who four years ago to the day of recording this conversation, four years ago to the day, that's pretty wild, Colleen tweeted, I'm not sure I hate any celebrity the way I hate Amanda Palmer. So first, I will speak one-on-one -on -one to Amanda, then I'll speak one-on-one -on -one to Colleen, and then, you guessed it, I will connect them to each other. This is a really fascinating episode. We get a lot of really cool introspection from both parties, and I hope you enjoy it. So here we go. Here is Amanda. Amanda, hi. Hi. You are so many things. Oh, God. You're a musician. You're an author. You are an artist, you are a creator, you're a digital creator. How do you identify? I don't like to identify. Great. I actually feel like the harder I try to identify myself, and of course then you get attached to that mm -hmm. narrative and mm -hmm. that identification, the worse off I am. Mm -hmm. So I actually figure that my job is to just do the things, mm -hmm. and then it's somebody else's job to say what they are. And you, <laughs> well, I, I totally, I, I love that a lot. So you, according to your, you know, online presence, you are a maker of things. Yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of my life wanting to identify and be identified as a songwriter and a mm -hmm. musician. And I actually still feel that way. And sometimes I wonder if I get in my way by constantly talking about other things and doing all sorts of other things that distract people from the fact that what mm -hmm. I fundamentally do, if I have one salient mm -hmm. real talent, it's music. Mm -hmm. But what's funny is I find I find myself 
actually even disagreeing with that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I look back at everything and I and I think that I, I only got into music so that I could do people mm. because what I really love is other people mm. and I really love being with them mm-hmm. and I love talking to them mm. and I love figuring them out mm-hmm. and I love helping them mm-hmm. and I love when they help me mm-hmm. and I just fucking love people. Yeah. And music... You know, I look back at my childhood self and the way I viewed the world and what I saw, and it and it looked like the the most exciting available job to be in the mix with other people was being a performer and a musician because the whole narrative surrounding that is mm-hmm. you're allowed to be emotional, you're supposed to connect, mm-hmm. your job is to sort of be this tribal mm-hmm. shaman of <laughs> emotion and connection and mm-hmm. heightened experience and I just remember looking at that as a kid and being like I want that job if mm-hmm. that's a job mm-hmm. like all these other jobs look boring mm-hmm. I want that job I want the job where you're allowed to just be as real as possible with yeah people. yeah no I love that so you seem to have a very uniquely close and wonderful relationship with your fans how did you start fostering that well I started with the Dresden Dolls mm-hmm. And when the Dresden Dolls started as a local band playing in bars and lofts and, you know, teeny shows with not many people. And mm-hmm. we did a lot of that. Like mm-hmm. we were we were a small band for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I just took my cues from my mentors, mm-hmm. like the bands that I was really, really into and loved as a teenager. And their approach, because these were like alternative punk folk bands, like their their approach was very human. Mm. They were really connected. The Mm. bands that I loved stayed after shows and signed and Mm. talked to people and crashed at fans' houses. And that, you know, I came out of DIY world. Mm -hmm. And from my way of looking at it, that's why you do the job. Mm -hmm. Like you want to be a musician because you want to hang out with people and you want to have a lot of friends and stay in their houses and eat their food and be in the scene. So the Dresden Dolls were a very community-based band. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until we sort of got up the ladder a little bit and we were touring more and I encountered other bands and just saw more of the world that I actually understood that what we were doing wasn't always the average. Yeah. In certain scenes it was, in the punk scene and, you know, the certain folk scenes. But I, I remember being really, like, astounded and then feeling really naive when I realized that there were a lot of bands who didn't want to talk to their fans, yeah. didn't want to hang out after shows, didn't want to read fan mail, mm-hmm. didn't want to be known, mm-hmm. didn't want to be touched, like, really lo- mm. loved their jobs, loved the music they created, but really, you know, the way I did really confused them. Yeah. Um. And then I actually had a real turning point around 2010, 12, when like the dark internet erupted <laughs> and, ha- and hate really started mm-hmm. coming my way. Because I, I encountered my first bit of internet hate mm-hmm. locally, like at the local level in Boston, there was, a, there was a music magazine called The Noise and it was the Boston black and white, you know, available at all record shops. And they had their own forum their own board called the noise board and this was pre-social media and the noise board is where all of the snarky local musicians went to dish and rag Mm -hmm. on other musicians and it was really toxic and it was the first time I encountered that level of negativity and like blatant hatred of me Mm. 
Like it almost felt like there was a competition for a while on the noise board to see who could say more terrible things about the Dresden Dolls and how bad we were. And it was aimed at you. It was all aimed at me. Actually, that was something that was a little bit of a theme around that time, which is all the hatred was aimed at me. And Brian got occasional sympathy, Mm. Brian, the drummer of the Dresden Mm -hmm. Dolls, for having to be in the poor dude in the band with the talentless, hairy cunt who can't sing. That was Brian's lot. Is like that poor guy. Whoa. (laughs) Well, this is a good transition to what we're even here to do, which is that, of course, with with the proliferation of the internet and the ability to really voice whatever it is you think about a public person, I think the flip side of being a public person who a lot, a lot of people really love is you also get to find the people who don't (laughs) feel that way about you. Do you pay attention to that? Do you pay attention to the negativity? Yeah, I do, but I've also... I've also learned how to dance with it. Mm. It's part and parcel of being in the arena of the internet. You're not allowed to just go into the internet and collect the goodies and the candy and the wonderful things that shower you with wonderful ego feelings. If you're going to go out and get those goods, you're going to have to also dance through and around the slings and arrows that Mm -hmm. are going to head your way. And then it's really just a question of, you know, at what volume do you want Mm. Uh, the cost benefit of love and hate mm. in your life. Yeah. So um, a person on the internet named Colleen tweeted, I'm not sure I hate any celebrity the way I hate Amanda Palmer. Oh, Colleen. Yeah. So what does I already it love, feel? I already love her. You, you love Colleen. <laughs> so what does it feel like to read something like that? Oh, I mean, I think in 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 terms of the spectrum of internet hate, that's not very that's not very yeah. bad. It just feels really general. Um, I don't know. It always makes me so curious. Like, I have I've weathered so so many storms of hatred on the internet that I I I'm always very curious about what's driving hmm. the hatred, what's driving the person. Yeah. This is a kind of impossible question because this is just a thing that is written on Twitter. Do you have any perception of Colleen at the moment? Just from that yeah. tweet? Yeah. I mean, you, I'll tell you something. Usually when I see comments like that, I read the rest of the person's feed. Oh, yeah. To see if they're just too. a general professional hater mm-hmm. or if I'm a special unicorn in their world and they love everything yeah. else, but they just happen to have reserved some hatred yeah. for me. No, I don't have any perception of her. I mean, my my main MO mm-hmm. when I'm dealing with hatred like this on the internet is I almost never engage. Mm. And lately, if I do engage, I literally try to disarm the person with mm. love and understanding. Yeah. And I confuse the shit out of them because no one's ever expecting that. Yeah. Hey, Colleen. Hey, Dylan. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am good. You've had a good weekend? I did. I did. How about you? Yeah, good. Yeah, I kind of spent the afternoon at the gym just so that I spent so busy this week, which is why I couldn't talk till now. Check you out. No, I'm (laughs) proud of you. (laughs) Thank you so much. So, Colleen, to kick us off, let's start small. Let's start uh, mundane. How's your day going so far? 
My day's been good. It's been really relaxed. Had some Ethiopian food and Ooh, went to the gym, did love. some ironing. Great. Oh, my God. <laughs> ironing and gym. You're living the life. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So in only the briefest way, think social media profile. How would you describe yourself? Tell me about Colleen. I am very honest. I'm very candid. Um, what you see is what you get. Um, <laughs> Great. I I try to be as honest online as I would be in person with someone. Um, So I I try my best to be authentic and I'm pretty weird, but I am what I am. (laughs) Okay, perfect. (laughs) So the topic and also ironically person we are here to talk about is Amanda Palmer. So this brings us to the tweet that you wrote. And a few years ago, you wrote a tweet that said, I'm not sure I hate any celebrity the way I hate Amanda Palmer. So um, (laughs) do you, how does it feel to hear that tweet read back to you now? Honestly, it feels, mm, I don't know. Part of it, I think hate might be a strong word because I don't actually know her. Mm -hmm. But I, I know, I know where I was when I wrote that tweet. Mm-hmm. And I stand by the feelings I had at that time. Mm-hmm. You stand <laughs> by the feelings moment. you had. Okay, well, no, and that's that's totally great. What I want to know currently, right now, in this moment, um, you haven't spoken to Amanda yet. What is your perception of Amanda? Oh, boy. <laughs> Go for it. Um, my perception is not great. Mm-hmm. It's one of outlandishness for the mm-hmm. sake of, I guess you could say, just to get a reaction from mm-hmm. people. Um, it, brass, I just, she rubs me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how else to explain it no. other than she rubs me the wrong way and she makes me cringe with a lot of the things that I read her having done or having said. Oh, it's... It's off-putting, I think, is the the best way to put it. Off-putting. So we have your perceptions about Amanda. We have the fact that you have stood by this tweet. What I want to (laughs) know is how are you feeling now that you're about to speak to her? Honestly, there's a little bit of shame. Hmm. I'm going to be totally just honest with you. Shame Um, for for writing it? Yeah. Shame, Hmm. a little shame for that because I never, I don't think I ever thought she would know Hmm. that I tweeted that. You know, and it's mm. not something I think um, I think I'm I'm a better person than I am then in that that was one of those tweets that I might not have said to someone's face at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of shame in knowing that I said something that could potentially hurt someone mm-hmm. um, and hurt her feelings. I don't think she cares at all about me or what I think of her. But, yeah, um, I feel a little, mm. little shame. So I'm a little nervous to talk to her. Because it's potentially someone whose feelings I've hurt. <laughs> that that makes me feel a little weird. So <laughs> right, and and it sounds like from the from just speaking to you on the phone, it sounds like this is not the type of thing that you would necessarily you maybe say to anyone in your life, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly it. And there probably was a time and place when I was a lot younger where I would have said, oh, I don't care. This is how I feel. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just going to tell you. Yeah. Not anymore. (laughs) Right. We're all evolving humans and God bless us for that, you know? Yeah. 
I evolved into that um, impulse control. That part of my brain grew, and now I yeah. probably wouldn't say it. Listen, I support you. Oh gosh, I didn't. I it's just now dawned like dawned on me that she's probably going to ask me things. Oh, oh I, boy! No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I don't, don't obsess over that too much. She's. It's going to be again. You only have to answer whatever you feel comfortable answering. Yeah. <laughs> All I ask is that you just come in as your wonderful self and we just be three humans on the phone together. Awesome. Cool. Oh, I'm excited about it. More than I am nerves, it's excitement. Hey, Colleen. Uh, you're on the line and you're on the line with Amanda. Hi, Colleen. Oh, hi, Amanda. We're all here together in this beautiful digital space <laughs> right now that we have carved out. Amanda, let's start with you. I would love for you to tell Colleen who you are. What makes you you? Well, I don't know how much Colleen already knows about me. She must know a little bit if she made a comment on the internet. Mm -hmm. But I am, <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a musician on the road and a writer and a and I'm a confused mom because I never expected to have a kid and spent 10 years struggling trying to figure out whether or not to have a kid and finally <laughs> did it. Um and I'm yeah, and I'm I'm a like searching creative person trying to figure out what to do. Mm. That's yeah. what I feel like right now. That's great. Colleen, take it away. Tell us about you. What makes you you? All right. So I, um, honestly, a Jane of many trades over here. Mm -hmm. I am creative as well. And I can relate to Amanda in that sense. I used to be um, a wedding photographer and I was also a baker for a really long time. So wedding cakes, things of that nature. And now I, I work a big girl job in sales. So not yes. anything I ever thought that I would do. But here we are, and I actually really love it. And I'm just a person who, I don't know, I like to challenge myself. I like to, This the reason I took this call was I like to talk to people who are different from me and kind of put myself in uncomfortable situations to grow. Um, and just, I'm a curious person. Um, I love learning about things. I like, I don't know, just kind of watching the world unfold and getting to be a part of it is really cool and terrifying and exciting. <laughs> yeah. You sound amazing. Yeah. Where, where, where are you? You're in Texas? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So I'm in Texas. I'm in Austin, Texas. And I work, I work for um, a tech company here downtown. I like Austin. I've done South by South a lot of South by Southwest a lot of times, and I'm actually just about to do it again. In March, uh -oh. I'm going to be. Oh, in that's exciting! Same town. Oh, that's same, awesome. Same town. So if we wind up really liking each other, yeah, I'll invite you to my show. Yeah, yeah I'll invite yeah. you to my show anyway. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about that. I thought, what if this goes so well that I actually completely reverse my opinion here, yeah. and I'm like, oh, she's really wonderful, and now she's my best friend. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's we're all going to leave here, best friends, um, holding hands and running <laughs> off into the sunset together on a unicorn. On a unicorn. Perfect. Three unicorns are one unicorn. Oh, all on one unicorn. Okay, so Colleen you're in the, just... You're yeah. in the middle and we're clutching. Uh, yes, okay, that sounds great. So Colleen, <laughs> um, the unicorn will be arriving in Austin, I guess. What is unicorn time? What is unicorn well, fly time? 
the unicorn should come to New York, pick us up, and then we'll ride to Austin on the unicorn. And then, yes, yes, yes. And then we'll all go to California. Of <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. So, Colleen, does that work for you? Oh, unicorn yes, picking me too. up. Okay. Perfect. Great. I'm on board. <laughs> okay. We'll see you sometime <laughs> in a few hours. I think is is how fast unicorns travel. Um, okay. So this is great. You guys know each other a little. I mean, as you know, what we are here to do is we're here to talk about a tweet. I'm sharing this with love. So, Colleen, four years ago to the day, you wrote, I'm not sure I hate any celebrity the way I hate Amanda Palmer. Rather than what you feel about that comment now, I would just like to hear what inspired that comment. Okay, so even just hearing that out loud makes my stomach just churn. I, oh, okay, so what prompted that, mm-hmm. um, that was... It was a combination of things where I have friends who were big Dresden Doll fans, and I tried to listen to them a couple times, but it just wasn't for me. Uh, it seemed kind of over the top and the sense of force. I don't know how to, like, like it was showmanship, but it was it was forced shock value is kind of how I perceived it. And so I didn't really, you know, I kind of left it alone and didn't listen to much of the music. Um, and then Amanda kept popping up kind of, all over the place in interviews she was doing or events that she had done. And it was like one thing after another where I would hear something or see something and be like, what, what? I don't get Mm. this. And so then I ended up working an event where she, she was present and it was an event for her, one of her books and the fan base dealing with the fan base before and after was one of the most off-putting fan bases I've dealt with And it was weird because I have friends who are big fans of hers, but they didn't act like this. And so it was just, I was so stressed. I was tired. I'd worked this event for like 12 hours Mm. and then dealing with all of this and reading all of these things and hearing all this stuff. And I was just like, I can't, I can't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's that's what prompted that tweet. What was it about my fans that was off-putting? Yeah, so it was this, they were very evangelical. Honestly, it was like, you are their God um, <laughs> and you can do no wrong. And it was the most, it was a little scary, honestly, the way that people viewed you and talked about you and were losing their minds just to meet you. Mm. Um, and I just kept thinking, she's just a person, you know, she's, she's an artist. You like her art, but she's just no better than you. And there were some other things. There were a couple things like some of them had brought instruments with them and were playing them in the bookstore while the event was going on. And we had to keep, you know, whatever it happens. We talked to them and were, you know, said like, you can't do this in a bookstore. And they would just be like, why? And Mm. a couple of us dealt with it to the point where we were like, I don't know what else to do. So this sense of just like worshiping you really made me uncomfortable. And I don't want to discredit you as a person at all or anything that you do. Um, but it was that sense of just that you, you, you were their religion. Hmm. Yeah, I get it. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, that like seeing that kind of behavior from any human being can be really off-putting, period. And I mean, I don't, I don't like that when I have to deal with it. Yeah. And I also <laughs> think that um, – you know, Colleen, to be fair, I think there's a sense of like internal contrarianism that we all have. Like if we see people worshiping someone who we don't particularly know well, 
you know, there's this sense of like, oh, well, I can identify myself as not that. Do you know what I mean? Right. And there's, yeah, yeah there, there's almost um, not necessarily a power, but yeah, you're, you're, you're identifying yourself by identifying yourself as not that. Right. Okay. So, so that's interesting. Um, but, 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 okay. So Amanda, I want to hear from you. What does it feel like to receive a tweet like this? Well, and I mean, in context, if it was the only tweet I'd ever received like that, <laughs> it would have been a lot more crushing. I see so much stuff like that, mm -hmm. that it doesn't, I think there's such an immense amount of it out there that hearing it once doesn't really, st the first few times I read things like that on the internet, it mm. was really devastating. Mm. But I also wonder, like, you know, especially having had some time to reflect and some perspective on being, you know, the target of tweets like that, I always wonder who the audience is. Hmm. You know, I mean, I guess that's what I would ask Colleen is like, who, you know, it probably wasn't written for me to see because most people who write things like that assume that I'm not going to see them. And but, Colleen, you didn't tag Amanda in it, right? You just, I mean, no, I'm, I'm no. saying, yeah, you didn't tag Amanda. It was just putting it out into the ether. Yeah. So I always wonder, like, when someone sits down at a computer and says, I know what I'm going to write, I'm going to write that and press return, who's the audience? Like, if the audience isn't me, is it, you know, is it this person's friends? Is it their community? Like, why, why does this person need to say this for who? What's the intended effect? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's sort of like the curiosity that comes up in my head when I read something like that nowadays. So Colleen, who, who were you thinking of for this tweet? Who was the audience? The audience was the ether, honestly. Mm -hmm. It, was, mm -hmm. <laughs> it yeah. was a thought that I had and wanted to get it out. I don't think I had an idea of why mm. I was posting it or who I wanted to read it. It was one of those where I could not stop thinking about it that night, about how frustrated I was. And I threw it out there for it to exist on the internet, whatever they do out there in the internet mm -hmm. bubble. Do you think you would have still written it if you could have imagined me on the other side of the computer reading it the next day? Stay right there. We'll be right back. Before we continue, I just want to say thanks for being here. Also, you can be on this show too. Has someone said something negative about you online, or maybe you've said something negative about someone else? Either way, after this episode is over, go to www.conversationswithpeoplewhohateme.com where you can fill out a guest form. And if you don't want to be on this show, that is totally cool. I appreciate you just the same. Maybe consider telling a friend about this show. Word of mouth has brought this podcast around the world, so your recommendation goes a long way. All right, let's get back to the conversation. Do you think you would have still written it if you could have imagined me on the other side of the computer reading it the next day? No, honestly, like, I kind of want to cry right now because I'm, I'm telling somebody who's also just a human being, here's this horrible thing I said about you. Like, hate is a really strong word. And for me to say it about someone who could come across it, um, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know why I thought that was acceptable. Um, but I'm, you know, I've, I'm 
I was younger then, but I didn't, I never thought that you would see it. And if I had known you would see it, it never, never would have gone out there. Like, and that is a huge lack of foresight on my part because it's the internet. You can search your name. You can find (laughs) what the whole internet has to say about you. And a lot of it is really unpleasant. And I just added to it, you know, it's, and you're a human being like me. And to put myself in those shoes and to say, what if somebody wrote this about me? I would have just cried. Like I would have. Um, you know, for, for the record, Colleen, I don't think you hate me. Yeah. I, I don't even think you hate I don't hate you. <laughs> and, and I also don't think you hated me four years ago when you wrote that tweet. I, I don't think, I don't think you knew me. Yeah. No. You know? But I also, I think about that experience that you had and the, you know, and the frustration and also having to do a really, really long, laborious job under the umbrella of Amanda Palmer and having nowhere to take that. Mm. That's sort of, and that's sort of what I imagine happening. Yeah. I also wanted- Yeah, it was a lot of misplaced blame. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I'm furious that you cut me off. (laughs) Um, No, I, (laughs) I just wanted to be clear, this is not, this is not a shame podcast, right? Like the goal of this project is not to shame you for writing. You said you were about to cry. I mean, I encourage you to feel all the feelings. I feel bad. No, I I totally get that. I just... I just want to be clear, you're not the only human to have ever logged on to Twitter.com and said something <laughs> negative about a celebrity, right? Like, I hate to break it to you, you did not copyright that, <laughs> and you don't own that copyright. Ah, and dang it. No, I know, but I just want to say, like, <laughs> I, I mean, this is why I like making this show, and this is why I like connecting people, because of conversations like this. But to be, to be fair you were just using the mechanisms put in place for you as they were intended to be used, right? You are constantly asked, you are constantly prompted, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Share it in this box, put it out into the ether. Maybe someone will respond to it kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? And so I just, I, I don't want you to be falling on the sword too hard because it's not like, I, I think what I'm interested in exploring here is just how innocuous hate on the internet is, quote unquote hate, um, and just getting to the bottom of why someone said it. So, can I add something? Please. Okay. So, I've been thinking about this, and as you're mentioning um, the shame element here, and you know, not wanting to fall on the sword, et cetera. Um, I I do have questions for Amanda that I do want to ask. Yes, please. Um, So some things that I'm really curious about that have kind of triggered, not just that event was not the primary reason, you know, there were, there were a lot of culminating Mm -hmm. elements here Mm -hmm. um, that kind of added up to it. And I still, I kind of, I stand by my frustration and sometimes disgust with some of the things that I've read and seen. Um, and I know that that does not make up the whole person. Mm -hmm. So there are, that was part of the reason I wanted to have this conversation is there are some things that I've I've seen and been like, what? I would, I would love that because I would love, (laughs) I'd love to answer any questions that you have. So hit me. So go for it. Okay. So there was a time where I came across this video, um, of you, you were at a show, Amanda, and you were talking about how 
and I'm, I'm going to use some words here that I think um, could be triggering to some of your audience. So I just. Um, mm -hmm. Colleen is right. This next section deals with suicide, drug use, and death. And if those are three things or any one of those things are not something that you should be listening to right now or something you just don't want to hear, skip ahead approximately seven minutes and six seconds and you will skip this entire part. You had talked about how you had faked um, your own suicide in an attempt to convince your partner to stop doing drugs um, and you like you filmed it you then use the audio in your music and that when when I watched that little video I I sat there dumbfounded I was like what mm. so I wanted to ask you is that is that situation was that real is that a thing that you actually that actually happened just if you could help me understand that situation because that is something that I do look at and, and wonder, what? Yeah, I, um, I was a freshman in college. I was 17. And my boyfriend at the time was not using heroin, but had been. And it was a condition of our relationship that he not use again. Mm -hmm. And so one night... Um, he actually, you know, and it was also, it was an agreement in our relationship that I didn't, I didn't care what he did as long as he was honest with me. Mm. All I asked is that he not lie. I was like, I can handle anything. So if you're going to go back and you're going to use, if it's going to happen, at least come talk to me, but don't let me find out by accident. Don't let me, whatever. Mm. So he came to me one night and he told me, I promised I would tell you, and I just have every intention of going out and mm. doing this. And it was very frightening and really, you know, kind of heartbreaking because I was like, oh, wow, here you are considering me mm -hmm. and telling me the truth. But what you're telling me is really terrible. Mm -hmm. And I don't even, and I was seven, yeah. I was 17. Like yeah. you have to understand. I also didn't, I just didn't come from a background where I had any junkie friends or I knew what any of it meant. I was so lost. And Right. I all I knew is the degree to which it was bad and dangerous. Mm. And I mean, this is coming from a teenager who did a lot of drugs, but I didn't do a lot of hard drugs or really any hard drugs until I was older. And even then, uh, <laughs> th this was just like I was out of my wheelhouse, and I was so angry at him and I didn't know how to express it and I didn't know what to do. And he had also told me, I'm going to come home to your dorm at the end of the night. And I was like, I don't even know what this means. I don't even know what's going to happen. I don't even know what these drugs do to him. Mm. I, I just don't know anything. Mm. And, you know, I was like an over dramatic performance art, theatrical weirdo in my freshman year of college. And I don't look back at this with any kind of like braggy pride, but I definitely look back at that 17-year-old and I'm like, man, what a shitty situation. Mm -hmm. um, and so I like got some fake blood and chocolate syrup and like poured it all over my bed and I lay there and like mm. in, a, in a pool of blood in my freshman dorm room mm. bed and was like, I'm just going to wait here until he comes yeah. back. Yeah. This is my way of expressing I'm really angry and confused and I don't know what to do. And I also, I didn't film it or video it, but I did have, I I was exper an experimental music major. I taped everything in my life at the time. So I left a tape recorder running in my room. Gotcha. 
And he came in, at like, you know, I lay there for like an hour flipping the tape over again and again and again, mm. or two hours. It seemed endless. And he finally came back and he was scared shitless for a second. Mm. And then, you know, and I let him be scared shitless for mm. like 20 seconds, mm. which felt like an eternity. And then I laughed and I said, fooled you. Mm -hmm. You really, mm -hmm. you've really scared the shit out of me and you've really disappointed me and I don't know what to do in my relationship mm -hmm. right now. Mm. And he... He thought it was really sick and funny, but he also had a very black sense of humor. We both did. It was what attracted us to each other. Mm. Um, right. And I, I don't look back at that episode and think, aha, I was such a clever, you know, I was such a clever groundbreaking artist mm -hmm. at 17 that mm -hmm. I did this amazing thing. I, I don't have any pride about that. I mean, I look back at it and it's a very it's a pretty apt portrait of who I was at 17, which was like very over the top and pretty clumsy. And I didn't know enough about human relationships to stop him in that moment and say, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're stopping me to, right now to tell me that you're about to go off and do heroin, but actually can we have a larger conversation <laughs> about our relationship? Right. I just wasn't grown up. Right. I wasn't grown up enough at that point to know that that was on the table. I was a, I was a total neophyte in the communication and the relationship department. So that was my very off color, weird way of dealing. Mm. Um, he also died six months later. Oh my God. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> it oh my was God. the fear, the, fe yeah. the fear was like, it was well-founded. Yeah. You know, he didn't seem like a casual drug user who was, yeah. you know, just going off and like smoking weed. So, I also look back at that episode through the lens of what happened yeah. immediately after. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and like mm. how many bizarre, stupid things do we do when we're 17? Because certainly if I, yeah. heard, if I heard about someone doing that as a 42-year-old, I would really be shocked and appalled. <laughs> but I also just think that there are <laughs> things that we do when we're younger and we're teenagers and we're learning mm -hmm. the language of emotions and we're learning the potential tools that we have to communicate with each other. And my tools at 17 were fucking mm -hmm. zero. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to be in a relationship when I was 17. I knew nothing. Yeah. Or how to confront drug abuse in a loved I, one. But clueless. Yeah. All of those things. Yeah. Clueless. Yeah. You know, so, um, and I can totally understand, Colleen, like how you would see, you know, you would see me telling that story in an offhanded way and... You know, I I think if you saw me on stage at 42 telling that story to an audience, I don't think you would see a whole lot of cavalier, wasn't I cute mm -hmm. humor in it. You know, the whole thing yeah. feels like a portrait of a dumb 17-year-old, mm. you know. But also, I don't just look at that dumb 17-year-old and think, oh, I was such a dumb 17-year-old. I look at that 17-year-old with a lot of empathy and sympathy. Mm. Because I didn't know what else to do. Hmm. Yeah, that makes so much sense, honestly. And hearing hearing you tell the story from your perspective and like what happened, and not hearing it, you know, on stage, recorded live, it's it's a lot different. And especially knowing that you were seventeen, because I was seventeen when I started college, and I was I did not have the wits about me to do something like that. Um, and if all the things that I've ever done were publicized for the world. I don't even know what people 
would have to say about me. Um, and it just kind of, I don't know, it's very human to hear you talk about it that way and to hear you say that you didn't, you didn't know how else to cope with things essentially. Um, mm. if, if I'm getting that right, is that it was that your coping skill was in this fashion for this situation. Like there, you didn't know how else to handle it. I don't know. I can really, I can empathize a lot with you in that regard. And to be quite honest, I just want to give you a hug right now hearing that. <laughs> oh, Colleen. <laughs> hearing that whole situation and that story. I do. Like, I had Thank it you. written down, like, on my notes. Like, what in the heck? Why would you mm-hmm. do this? No, I completely, I can see it now. I can, I get it. It wasn't a performance piece for you. It wasn't something, because that's kind of how it came across, um, at least from my point of view, that it was this thing you were doing to add into your art. Yeah, um, no. When that does not <laughs> seem to be the case. I also think that's a weird thing that happens with celebrities, right? Which is like you're just getting one tiny – and I say you meaning all of us and I'm for sure including me in this, Colleen. But we get like one tiny little slice into a person who is a public person and then we hear about this one thing that happened when they were younger or a thing that happened a week ago and – we try and fit that into our own understanding of the world. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, so we're part of a system that is built to encourage our judgment of that person, whether it's positive or negative, and we're enabled to then share it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, <laughs> I, it's just interesting. You know, and even I, like, I, I really have to stop myself a lot. When it comes to, you know, making snap judgments or shaking my head in in either direction, you know, like, and I just sort of look at it and I'm like, it's such a, it's such an obvious mirror. Mm. And everyone who has feelings about any of it, including me, there's just so much that it says about me and Mm -hmm. what upsets me about me and Mm. what upsets me you know, about my particular situation. And even after all I've been through, it's really hard for me to to keep my own judgment of people in check, especially other women. Mm. And I just watch it all the time, the constant, you know, like the constant comparison and the constant, you know, where do I stand compared to where she stands and da da da, da and mm. all of that. It just feels like such an epidemic Hmm. sickness, especially between women. Hmm. Colleen, this is a kind of impossible question to answer just because <laughs> it's it's hard. But do you think there was an element to Amanda being a woman that kind of enabled you to maybe feel that distaste for her more strongly when you wrote this tweet? I... I really hate that I'm going to say yes Mm. um, because it's not something that I'm proud of and it's not something that I was really conscious of. And I think part of that has to do with how painfully critical I am of myself. Mm. So I think it is a sense of projection Mm -hmm. um, of, you know, if I'm going to be this critical and this harsh with how I deal with myself and think about what I've done, well, I don't. I don't want to give someone else a break. Mm-hmm. Like you need to be held to the same standards that I hold myself to. But at the same time, I think I also think 
I think there's a bias where I maybe oftentimes think women might be more capable Mm -hmm. um, at certain situations and in certain places than men are, um, and especially in places where men have had more power. I think I I do feel like I have a bias and I have an unfair, it's not fair, essentially. Mm. No, that's, that's, that's like really fascinating introspection, Colleen. Amanda, do you feel that you do that at all? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I've been on a introspective learning curve about my own sexism, mm. especially in the last five or ten years. Mm. And a lot of it is really, I mean, just like Colleen's just started her comment that she hates that the answer is yes, mm. some of it just <laughs> makes me so ashamed mm. when I really have to unpack and unearth mm-hmm some of my thoughts and some of my patterns and, you know, and it's just, it's a vicious circle Mm. and women are so awful to each other. Mm. And I really, I mean, if I look at the pie chart of hate that I've gotten Mm. on the internet, the vast majority of it has come from other women. Mm. But also, you know, when I look at who I, you know, and especially in the course of my early career, Everything that really riled me, you know, the things that upset me, the things that pissed me off, the things that made me jealous, like Mm. the things that brought out my worst, least generous self, Mm. it was all my, like, my, my feelings of scarcity Mm. and, and, and gross competitiveness with other women. Mm. You know, I was way more upset and jealous of my female peers you know, the, like, why does Fiona Apple get that when I don't? Mm-hmm. You know, why Why is, mm-hmm. you know, why does Regina Spector get to do this and I don't? Like, my peers, my friends. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, and as, even as a teenager, like, I was really allergic to the women who later would become my, my mentors and heroes, like mm-hmm. Anita Franco and Tori Amos. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a competitive household with an older sister. And I think I just really, I really just had that like narrow-minded set of scarcity blinders on that celebrating and feeling a sense of abundance around and with other women was not fucking allowed. Mm. It was either me or her. And if she was succeeding, then I wasn't. And if I was succeeding, then she mm-hmm. couldn't. Yeah. And I feel like I was taught to think that way. And actually unpacking that in my 30s, it was like really enlightening. And oh, my God, this is the way I think. But oh, my God, my whole life has been so fucked. I've literally walked through my entire life with this really horrific set of sunglasses on. And, like, looking back, did I have any of those feelings about my male counterparts? And no. Like, Mm. I just didn't. I just wasn't – I just wasn't jealous of Jack White. He was out there playing his guitar and doing a great job. Like, it – and and figuring all of that out was just – it just made me feel so ashamed Mm -hmm. and so gross. But also sitting with it and going, okay, like, here's where you're starting. You're starting from here. Mm. This is the only way out is to like pull up this carpet and see the creepy crawlies mm. and like not put the carpet back mm-hmm. down because yeah, they yeah. were fucked. And I, st- I still 
have to keep myself in check all the time, every yeah. day when I see these thoughts bubbling into my head. You know, like I was saying with reading this Lena Dunham article yesterday, it was almost like a meditation practice. I was like, you, here you are reading this mm. article. What are you feeling? But why? Mm. And stop and think about it. Don't just have these mindless thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely, that, I can relate to that so much in the sense when you mentioned scarcity, it dawned on me that that is a huge element of this, um, is that I think for a lot of things, especially with career women or women who are in um, fields that are pretty male dominant, um, at least for me, I've had this sense of, I want to be, I want to be that woman. I want to be the first woman to mm. do it or the, the, you know, to get the accolade of, of having the woman attached to whatever it was that I've accomplished, where mm. it was like, you know, if other people are meeting metrics and are winning awards and things like that, oh, that's great. But to be the first woman who did this thing or to be one of the very few women who have been able to do this kind of created the sense of competition for me that I didn't realize I had until very recently. And I'm about to go into my 30s. And I think that's going to be a huge part of the next decade for me is in the same way that Amanda said, is unpacking that, mm. Mm. you know, and that probably is part of the reason that I, I don't look at other male artists who make me uncomfortable with whatever they're performing or whatever they're doing. I don't have this sense of like, Ugh, mm. you know, yeah. like you, it's like, oh, you're just weird. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. But here's Amanda. And my reaction is completely different. It's like, oh, Great. Okay. We've, we have a few women in this music scene right here, the one that she's a part of, and that's how you're going to present yourself. Like, please don't do that to us mm. when that's not what's happening at all. Yeah. We just, or it's happening in my head and it's happening in a lot of our heads rather than, right. you know, the reality. Yeah, I think I think we see the people next to us, the people that we're grouped in with, boxed in with. We see them under a closer and almost more cruel and vicious microscope, a, a really unfair microscope, I think. And I honestly think that's just the system working, right? Like the, I think other yeah. people benefit from marginalized groups um, feeling that there is few seats at the table and they have to fight each other to get those seats. That's the oldest trick in the book. Yeah. And the, and that's the old patriarchy trick is, you know, pit all of these women against each other because then they'll never be able to collaborate and get out of there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's frightening. It's frightening to realize that. And also I, Neil and I actually have it, we have a term for it and we, and we've, we use it a lot when we're talking about work and, competition and how we feel about other artists. And, and I, I came up with it because of Tori Amos. I thought it was a good metaphor. We call it the piano string theory, mm-hmm. which is a, a piano that's really out of tune actually mm-hmm. doesn't sound as out of tune than a piano that's slightly out of tune. Mm-hmm. So two strings oh. that, are, that are almost resonating with each mm-hmm. other but not quite mm-hmm. are going to sound more dissonant. And I was like, that's the thing. It's not the people who are far off in different cultures in different countries that you can't relate to. It's the woman who's standing right next to you at the same job, who is the same age, who is the same color, who, you know, has the slightly better situation, Mm. who you despise Mm. (laughs) Mm. and who you and who you use as this basis of comparison. And that's, you know, that's also just our terrible culture feeding us this diet of 
competition and scarcity instead of hmm. mutual compassion and celebration. And, you know, if she's doing better, then, then that's better for me and we will mm. all benefit and all beings will benefit because we're really not fed that script. Mm. And, you know, and I've seen it so much in the music industry and... You know, I also went through my own learning curve, like listening to Colleen talk about like the, you know, her reaction of listening to the tweet that she sent. I also had a, I had my own learning curve on the early internet because I said, you know, I would say really negative things about people just not thinking about it, mm. you know, because this is how I talk with my friends and mm -hmm. I'm just going to talk shit about this artist or I'm just mm -hmm. going to complain about this situation. And I, you know, and, and after, like, and after getting some blowback for that and after realizing that I actually had a real voice and that my voice was real and there it was sitting in the world and it was going to actually have consequences or an audience, I, I, I sort of stopped and made a you know, like made a commitment to myself to not add any negativity to the internet. Hmm. I think especially also being on the receiving end of it, I was like, why would anyone want to be the receiving end of hmm. anything like this on the internet? So I, um, you know, I feel like I've learned the same lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, yeah, I, I feel like we're all coming to terms with that too. Colleen, you said you had some other questions for Amanda. Are there any other questions you have? Yeah, it kind of ties into what we're talking about right now. Um, but it comes down to basically, Amanda, how do you think people as a whole perceive you? And honestly, how is it different from how you perceive yourself? That's such a that's such a good question. It's such a complicated question because it. Yeah, it's a lot to unbox there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I don't you know, de depending who you're talking about, um, I think there's a lot of people out there who perceive me a lot of different ways. I mean, on the one hand, you know, you've got one side of the spectrum where you've got a super duper Amanda Palmer fan who's willing to wait in line to get their book signed for six hours. Mm -hmm. You know, these sort of people that you had to deal with mm -hmm. <laughs> at the book signing. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> You know, and on the other hand, you've got someone who barely knows me but has heard one shred of you know, all they know is that she's some terrible singer. You mm -hmm. know, they don't even really know what my music is like or what I've written about, and they just have no information. And then ever, and then everything in between. But you know, I don't know. D Dylan was like when we when I first sat down with Dylan, we were sort of talking about how I would perceive myself and how mm -hmm. I define myself and how. What was the question you asked? How I how um, I identify? How you identify as an artist and yeah, as a person. and that's you know I. Maybe it's lazy, but I just feel like it's not my job to explain what mm. kind of artist I am. Like I feel like that's the everyone else's job or mm. a critic's job or or whatever. But I mm. you know, I've definitely I've been very humbled in my career as in the last ten years. I've taken a lot of knocks, but I also I wouldn't trade any of it. Mm. I feel so much I just feel so much more rounded mm -hmm. and, you know, three-dimensional than I did 10 years ago. And it seems like every step along the way, just from an outsider looking in at your career or artistic evolution, every everything has added to the evolution, right? It, do you feel that that's... Yeah, I mean, yeah. as it as it should be with every artist and as it should be with every person. Mm -hmm. If you're not 
gathering some insight and wisdom from every encounter, interaction, you know, mistake. I mean, I feel like I'm going to walk away from this conversation a little different. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I like that about life. Mm -hmm. I like that I feel like it's a, it's a work in progress and it's actually progressing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just getting more unhappy and jaded and bitter. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a great trajectory. Um, Do you have questions for me about anything in regards to that tweet as well or anything you've wondered about me that we haven't addressed? I don't know. I mean, I wonder if, um, I mean, I just, I I wonder if just having a conversation with me as a real person, like, has made you think anything about, how, you know, I'm sort of interested in the internet in general, mm. how people use it, what people think when they use it. My, you know, my whole relationship with the internet and how I do things and how I tweet and how I communicate has just been a constant weird work in progress mm-hmm. for the past 20 years or whatever. And I, I just wonder if you have any thoughts or reflections about the internet, how we're on it and how you use it and if this has given you any insight. Yeah, this is giving me a lot of insight, Um, things that I thought I already understood, you know, like, oh, anyone can come across this. Anyone can find it. Your boss can find it. Um, And I the approach that I've taken over the last couple of years is truly understanding that what I put out there could somebody else could find it, which was this sense I had this horrifying like stomach sinking feeling when I saw Dylan's message initially like oh no what did I say Mm -hmm. what did I say that's coming back to haunt me um so kind of the approach I started taking was you know would I if my husband found this would he be proud of me Mm. Would he be like, yes, I support that opinion or (laughs) what is wrong with you? Like I've lost respect for you. Um, And so hearing it in this sense and hearing the people who read these tweets and who are on the receiving end of it, I think honestly makes me want to be more cautious with how I approach this Mm. with it could be anybody reading this. It could be a child. It could be the person I'm talking to. And I thought I understood that, but then to face the consequences is very different. Mm. I don't know if that sounds really ignorant yeah. um, because no. it probably is. No, no, but... no, not at all. No, it's it's the opposite. And actually, I have this. Um, it's funny you should mention your husband. I do this thing with Neil. We we sort of have a deal with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do a couple of things. If I see something that Neil has tweeted or he sees something that I have tweeted that we think veers into the realm of it's just too inconsiderate, mm. it's just not the right thing, you don't want to put that kind of negative energy out into the universe, we text each other mm. and we say, delete that tweet. Aww. I saw it. It's just not – I it's, like that. It's mm-hmm. just not a good look on you, honey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then very rarely the other partner will defend it and be like, burr, 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 burr. yeah. But okay, you're right. And then, you know, 99% of the time we will we'll delete the tweet. But also we'll send each other text before we tweet it and just be like, do you think this is okay to say? Do you think this is, mm. you know, ki- kind and considerate enough given what's going on? Da, 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 da. We sort of use each other as editors. And also, you know, even as even as I'm typing out the text to Neil, 
I'm just going like delete, mm. delete, delete. I, you know, I know I already know what the right thing to say here is. I already know what's unkind and inconsiderate. I already know what's too passive aggressive. And, you know, we all have that wise, compassionate inner critic that sits on your shoulder and is like, you know that that's not really a nice <laughs> mm -hmm. thing to say or that it's just not necessary mm -hmm. or that it's just, you know, it's got a little dig in it or mm -hmm. it's got a little barb in it or you, you know, you're coming across as kind and compassionate, but you've just got to stick that mm -hmm. one thing in there mm -hmm. to prove that you're right or whatever. Yeah. And, and, um, and that's a really wonderful thing about a marriage or whatever the partnership. Sometimes I use my, you know, different friends of mine as sounding boards for things like that. And, you know, and we, and then it's sort of like we become the collective better angel, better angels of our own nature. And we sort of help each other mm. ride those temptations to just fire off the angry tweet or the bitchy tweet or whatever mm. it is. And, uh, and Neil and I have saved each other's asses a lot mm. doing that. <laughs> well, I think there is. Yeah, there's this sense that there's no consequences for what you say on mm. the internet. You know, there's no repercussions for it. Say how you feel, whatever it is, when that's still not the reality. And I don't believe that the answer should be everyone privatizing these sentiments and then going off into private spaces where they express the same things just under lock and key. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I right. think what I'm more interested in doing is doing stuff like this, right? Where it's, it's more just like, Okay, you said that. That's great. And now let's let's turn that into a conversation, right? Turning these kind of negative sentiments into a conversation is I actually think the way forward. Otherwise, you're not acknowledging how human psychology works. Yeah. If if I said that the goal of this project was that everyone now only writes nice things, that is not acknowledging how humans operate. And that, that's not acknowledging how I operate either, <laughs> you know? Um, right. But I, I just think like it is beautiful to me when people can own up to something that they've said and then push through that. Do, do the work. Do the work, right. And that's exactly what is happening right now, which I think is really cool. I think you're doing a beautiful thing, Dylan. Oh, I think we're all doing a beautiful Agreed. thing. Agreed. This is, this is now Agreed. a love fest. I, I, I really feel like this you're is the, such you're the, a – you're the internet's relationship therapist. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the internet's yeah. relationship therapist. This is how I identify. Um, so you're the internet mediator. <laughs> yes, I'm Dr. Phil of the digital space. Dr. Phil's not a Dr. mediator. Dr. Filternet. Dr. Filternet. Okay, that's my new name. Please don't call me Dylan. Oh, that's um, good. Yes, Dr. Filternet. Um, this is me. This is who I am. Hello, world. Um, I'll tell my husband that that's my new name, and he must take it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we're coming to a close of this really beautiful conversation. Individually, I each asked you separately to name your perceptions of the other. And I want to ask that question again. Amanda, what is your perception of Colleen now? Um, well, I didn't know very much about Colleen going into this. And, you know, all I had was uh, one terrible tweet, which... <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but, um, I've, I really admire her. I mean, even just from the beginning of this mm. conversation, you, Colleen, you just seem like, uh, you seem like a very grounded, open 
person mm. and you know you you don't you certainly don't seem like a hateful person mm-hmm. to me and yeah i mean i was i was like of course really sort of anxious and frightened going into a conversation like this because how how frightening but yeah you you um you know you strike me as a really beautiful person and Aww. Colleen, same Aww. question for you about Amanda. How what how do you perceive Amanda now? Very differently, honestly. Um and I'm I'm a little embarrassed to say that I view her more human mm-hmm. than I did before. No, that's um, that's whereas a great before thing. I did I did see a character. Mm. I saw this this kind of shock value persona. Um whereas now I see someone I see a lot based on this conversation, I can empathize with a lot of things. And I see this person who, while they kind of, I guess, I don't know how to word this. In a way, it seems like you tried to present yourself as somebody who doesn't care what other people think, when in reality, I mean, everyone's ultimately going to care to some degree. Mm. And I think your ability to push through that and to really present yourself as while this might be scary and this is what I'm going to do, it's who I am and it's real. And I, mm. I, that's what I see right now is I see someone who is exactly who they are. And that's not very eloquent, but yeah, I see someone who cares very deeply, who is very creative and kind of owns up to whatever has happened. And these are the situations, this is what I've done. Um, and this is where I've been. And I really admire that a lot. I admire somebody who can just say, this is, this is it. Hmm. Yeah, I actually, I was just thinking, because the bookstore is right up the road. And I was like, maybe I should actually go read The Art of Asking. <laughs> <laughs> what if this was just a long kind of, ploy to get you to buy now. Amanda's book? Yeah. You're also like returning to the scene of the crime yeah, where you had exactly. your traumatic evening with all my yeah. irritating yeah. fans. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yes. Um, Colleen. No, I have a very good perspective on you now, Amanda. Like I, I, part of me wants to delete that tweet, but that's erasing what's happened. Well, um, and I don't want to hide and it's, it's I don't want to be the... shameful for it. It is what it is, but I don't hate you Oh, at thanks. all in any regard. Um, if you will do it offline, but if you give me your address, I'll just send you a copy of the book. Ooh. I would love to. Aww, I can, I can transfer that, that so information. Kind of you. Yeah. Um, well, this has been such a lovely conversation and thank you really thank you both so much for taking part in this i think this takes tremendous energy from both parties so thank you so much you're an amazing internet therapist listen that's (laughs) how i was licensed by an invisible (laughs) internet (laughs) psychology (laughs) university um are there any final yeah colleen I was going to just say thank you to Amanda for doing this. Um, Thank you for having this conversation with me and for being open to it in the first place, Um, because I I was afraid to come into this. I've been mildly shaking all day because I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid to own up to what I had done and to say to someone, I said a really terrible thing about you and let's talk about it. Thank you for having this conversation and for listening to me and for hearing me out um, and for just 
for being here. Really, thank you. And and same to you, Dylan. Like, thank you for starting this. Like, this is. Oh my god! Of course, I love, I love doing this. this. I love your podcast. I love this concept. I love who you are. This has been so great. Well, well, yeah, thank and you, Colleen. you and you too. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to do this. And it, yeah, it takes a lot of integrity to come into a conversation like this. And I'm really grateful that you did. Yeah, me too. Well, Colleen, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and uh, we'll all uh, we'll all just be our own little separate humans going about our place <laughs> in the world. Awesome. Thank you guys yeah. so much. This has been great. Thanks, Bye. Colleen. Bye. All right. Have a great day. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to be a guest on this show, please visit www.conversationswithpeoplewhohateme.com for more information. Conversations with People Who Hate Me is a production of Night Vale Presents. Vincent Cascione is the sound engineer and mixer. Christy Gressman is the executive producer. The theme song is These Dark Times by Caged Animals. The brand new logo was designed by Philip Blackowl with a photo by Mindy Tucker. And this podcast was created, produced, and hosted by me, Dylan Marin. Special thanks to Adam Cecil and our publicist, Megan Larson. For this episode, I'd like to send out an extra special thank you to Haley Rosenblum, Michael McComiskey, Fanny Cohen, Jordan Verzar, and all of Amanda's team for their help on this conversation. We'll be releasing episodes every other week, so I will see you in two weeks with a brand new conversation. Until then, remember, there's a human on the other side of the screen. Dark times, and it's hard to take it. But we're gonna make it through these dark times. Make it through these dark times. Make it through these dark times.